welcome everyone. I'm here with uh, Joni Petty and today we're going to be discussing something really interesting and that is the concept of um, disconnection syndrome. I think most of us once we've heard her introduction and speak on disconnection syndrome can all agree this is definitely something uh, we have experienced during this pandemic. But before we start I'd like to just welcome Joni and give her a chance just to introduce herself and maybe just a little bit of background around what you do and, and what wonderful gifts you bring to the world. And then we can continue. Thanks, Joni. Welcome. Thank you very much, Karen. Yes, I run a business called Resilient People, which I have done actually for 25 years. And uh, there's no better timing than really enabling people to be resilient. In fact, uh, my purpose on the planet is to inspire actionable resilience so that people can live a better and more optimal life. So that's really why I think I'm here. And um, addressing disconnection syndrome, Karen, is really one of these things that we could uh, just stop, take stock, and maybe start to do a few things differently in our lives so that uh, we can get this thing, which I love to work with, uh, the brain operating for us and not against us. Fantastic. So, Jenny, when did you first come across disconnection syndrome? It seems to be quite a, a new concept or a new new syndrome. It is fairly newish. So um, I bought this book uh, a year ago in 2020, beginning of 2020, called Brainwash by Dr. Pomata Sr. So uh, the father is David and the son is Austin. So father and son book. And I was really intrigued and, and I'm a frustrated neuroscientist. So <laughs> I look at neuroleadership, how, you know, what's happening in the brain and what are the latest studies? And then about uh, a month ago, I was on a summit based in America and it was all about biohacking and what we can do to our brains and how we can live longer, healthier and what we need to do for better longevity. And Dr. Pomalta was speaking and he was just so down to earth, Kieran, and really started um, pushing home this point that uh, during the pandemic, we've seen fear, we've seen anxiety, we've seen overwhelm just skyrocket. And actually we are, our brains are starting to work against us. And he then reiterated this disconnection syndrome. So I went back to this book thinking that is that is a term that is uh, so relevant right now because people who are even healthy, great job, great family scenario are coming to me and saying, Joni, can I have a coaching session, please? I, there must be something wrong with me. There are no immediate overt triggers, but I am still really in the state of overwhelm and fear and high levels of anxiety, battling to sleep, eating really badly, not exercising. My relationships are not as good as they could be. So I'm, I'm in a separated, disconnected sense of unhappiness. And I have no real cause for being unhappy. In fact, I should be incredibly grateful. What is the matter with me? And that's really got what many coaching scenarios, many team scenarios, and then re-listening to Dr. David Pomalta. And I think it's a, a very relevant term we should all be considering. Absolutely. And, and I think definitely, as you said, now, the pandemic definitely has had a big role to play in, in us seeing the rise of this disconnection syndrome, because it's, it is unnatural that we have been in this, I suppose, fight or flight state for so, for so long. It's been much longer than any of us have imagined. But are there any other reasons that, you know, perhaps the pandemic has really aggravated this syndrome? I think there has been. It was really interesting to read a Forbes article lately, and 
the Gallup organization saying worldwide they've never seen this happening. And this will answer the question, Kieran, is that engagement is still really high in businesses. Employees are working very hard, but out of fear. They're motivated by fear. They're rising to the challenge of this turbulent change. What am I going to do differently? Out of fear. So the Gallup organization has said we've always seen correctly engagement, well-being, and productivity all lining up. If people are well, they will engage really well and they'll be productive. But now we're starting to see engagement is still fairly high, but uh, well-being has come down. So they're diverging for the first time. And that's, as we would all know, it's uh, the digital issues being on screens for too long and that fatigue has set in. And also the yo-yo effect. People are saying that, you know, our borders are open, then they're closed, or we can't move states, or we, you know, in lockdown, then we're not in lockdown. Then we so it's just this uncertainty because this virus is not a linear virus. We're starting to see second waves, third waves, and some countries really, really suffering. And um it's, there's just too much uncertainty. So people are really in that terrible state of overwhelm and then they're working harder, but actually this being glued to our screens. Some people caring for 12, 14 hours a day is messing with our brains badly. Because we're not, we're not building in regular breaks and we really are, you know, because we're done having, we're out of our routine, aren't we? So, so everything's out of routine. We can stay yeah. up later. We can watch what we yeah. want to watch. We're almost yeah. binging on on everything, not just food. That's it. Um, so it has become quite a quite a thing. So, so how would people know if they've if they've got it? You know, how do, what is that level of self awareness? So, what do we look out for to to know if we have disconnection syndrome? So there is, you know, that that kind of feeling of anxiety is that's uh, uppermost. Your relationships are not really good. You are not managing your boundaries. So there's this whole need for this instant gratification. You know, to a point you just made around binge watching. And of course, that affects the brain's reward circuits, doesn't it? So, you know, we want it and we want it now. So there's a whole lot of, you know, how, how do I get that instant gratification um, is problematic. And then just general, I mean, there are great health indicators um, that you're feeling inflamed, you're not sick, but your body is just out. It's in a non-state of health. And I'm finding because we are quite disconnected from the neck down is that some people are actually ignoring that in their bodies. They're ignoring the need to exercise, the need for good food, the need for sleep. We do know from a sleep perspective is that the blue light from our computers and our mobile phones affects the brain's uh, production of melatonin. So we actually don't go to sleep as early as our, our bodies want us to go to sleep because we're in this heightened state of awareness and um, attention all the time. And then that inability to really just settle down and focus. So from a decision-making perspective, I'm finding a lot of people deciding this and then changing their minds and getting quite frenetic about what should I do? I need a coaching uh, session with you, Joni, because I'm so indecisive at the moment. And it's the inability for deep work, the inability to slow down and focus. The inability, you know, as good old Daniel Kahneman spoke about, in his thinking fast and thinking slow, is that slow thinking, that real deliberate, that real conscious attention to something that you're doing without the, you know, and I mean, I get it, you know, on screen, online, homeschooling children, trying to get groceries delivered because you're in lockdown, etc. So we, many of us are multitasking and we don't have the, the luxury 
of this deep work. But we also don't know how to change our body and our circadian rhythms to make that time work for us. Absolutely. And I think we've spoken a little bit about the short-term impacts, you know, of this. And it is exactly that, that inability to have time to actually think or plan or or have that long-term view. Because essentially we're just kind of stuck in the survival. It's it's the constant to-do list, whether it's from screen to homeschooling to this to that. It's just this constant juggle that we're seeming to be in. And that does create a lot of anxiety and, and exhaustion, I suppose, at the same time. But what are some of the long-term impacts that we could expect to see coming out of this, of being in this heightened state of awareness and stressfulness and, and survivor mode almost? The long-term effects on our brain are huge, absolutely huge. I mean, when you think about the fact that this uh, fantastic organ needs seven hours a night and it needs to detox at night, so it's very busy at night, and the long-term effects of not getting rid, rid of beta amyloid, which is the daily buildup of toxins, that leads to Alzheimer's, it leads to Parkinson's, uh, dementia, etc. So the long-term effects of brain health are huge. And then the other comorbidities of excess weight, because people are, are less inclined to exercise when they're anxious or they just, you know, seemingly are time poor, stress rich. So they're sitting at their desks for these long hours. So that in terms of heart health and cardiovascular health. So all the health uh, indicators are there that we are going to get sicker and sicker. In fact, if we look worldwide now, we are um, the biggest we've ever been in terms of weight and size and the unhealthiest we've ever been. So this cohort of adults that we are living in now is a lot of the lifestyle factors are really affecting our health dramatically. Dramatically, and I think one of the cause, one of the you know impacts for all the scary things for me is that we we turn to long-term medication to to cope with the symptoms of that, yep. which in itself creates a, another problem as opposed to really returning to the, the root of that issue and looking after diet, nutrition, um, you know, exercise, etc. We're, we're wanting those quick hits again, again, reaching for that, that dopamine hit, you know, that yeah. quick fix. Yes, that instant gratification. Actually, I'll, I'll give you a, um, a personal story as I went for a run this morning and I ran with a 24-year-old and I know her, she's a, a daughter of a good friend of mine and we just had lovely chats around this exact topic. And she finished her last year at school in South Africa, we call it matric, and that was 2015. And she said, Joni, do you know that three people from my year have committed suicide? Wow. So this is a school that's not far from where I live. And um, that dramatic, dramatic, so suicide worldwide has gone up. And uh, mm -hmm. to your point you just made, antidepressants, the use of antidepressants has gone up 400%, which is just astronomical. And yet uh, being able to self-manage and make good uh, choices, good lifestyle choices, good decision-making, and getting parents to role model that in a way that's really good for the entire family and family involvement in exercise and nature, actually. Nature is one of the big things to make sure that your brain does connect the limbic system, the amygdala that's always firing with this instant gratification to connect with your prefrontal cortex, this executive function. Some of the basic things of rebooting by being in nature uh, is so incredibly good for us. And we've lost some of that because of this screen um, addiction that we have. Absolutely. And I think one of the, the key things for me that always stands out with suicide is it's 
it's now affecting our younger population yes. at a rate we've never seen before. Yeah. And I think that is that is really frightening and something we, we all need to be you know, more aware of and, and take concrete steps around how we actually support our youth. It's it's no longer, you know, just something that you hear about every now and again. It has become quite commonplace. Um, what is your view on, on that in terms of, you know, the younger generation specifically that are connected even you know we're we're feeling this connection with screens they already have been connected by screens how is how is this connection syndrome you know maybe different uh, for them or experienced differently for them we're starting to see some schools take it really into account so really having a look at um how do we social emotional learning so how do we actually use i mean behind me here are it's cropped off, but eight competencies of emotional intelligence. So starting to teach emotional intelligence. So the people can, I mean, one of the first pillars of emotional intelligence is enhance emotional literacy. As adults, we use about four or five words to describe our emotions, but children are the same. So to really describe those emotions, I'm also seeing that now with online learning, schools are starting to take a much more proactive uh, stance in terms of how many hours a day, what workbooks get career to the, the parents or obviously sent uh, for printing, et cetera, so that you can really start to juggle that day and not, and initially in the pandemic March last year, children were on, online as well for 10 hours a day. So, you know, doing their classwork, then doing their projects, then doing their little meetings with their, uh, their group, et cetera. And then of course, playing their games. So yeah. adults really need to take into account how do we, make sure that we can get the balanced school day going if they're school children and then how do we put boundaries around technology absolutely and those boundaries are are key because i know children left unattended will spend an extended amount of time uh, engaging with their friends through through those platforms other mediums so they feel like they're socializing but i don't think they're they're really understanding that and i think sometimes it is you know just the stress that parents are under almost a, a convenience to, to almost yeah. walk away or to to try not to put those boundaries in because because we are spent at the end of the day and I think that's that comes to really my next question you know when when we speak about uh, disconnection syndrome and the things that we're needing to do to kind of take hold of it all to to change this it, it's kind of exhausting to think oh here's another thing I need to fit in or to to kind of plan into my day and we're just exhausted so the question is is how how do we do this in a, in a manageable way? So the first thing I say to people, the very easiest tiny habit that you can incorporate that doesn't feel like another thing on your to-do list is micro bursts of activity. So what are the very tiny things you can do spliced into your day that are triggered by some other habit that you have so that you don't have to remember it and think, oh, goodness gracious, I've got to do this today. So um, the one trick I always give people is I say, look, if you are drinking well, I mean, this is a lovely herbal tea I've got in here. If you're rehydrating your brain well, is that you're going to need to have a loo. So uh, if you're having sort of eight glasses of, of water a day, you actually need one glass for every 10 kilograms that you weigh. So you knowing thyself is the beginning of wisdom, as Aristotle said. So if you're drinking well, you're going to need to go to the loo. And I just say to people, you know what, when you're flushing that loo chain, which you have to do, it's a habit you have to have, is that uh, you're going to go and wash your hands and then you're going to do 10 squats or 30 squats or 50 squats. So if it's those macro bursts of activity linked to a trigger, you are likely to do them. 
And uh, it's one of those little biohack tricks that we forget is that actually it doesn't have to be where's that hour that I need for exercise per day, but if you slice it up and uh, it will it will happen very easily. It's the same as drinking enough. You know, we often wake up in, in the habit of having a cup of tea or coffee as we wake up. The brain, as you probably know, goes from a beautiful, rich kind of um, succulent grape to a shriveled raisin overnight because it does dehydrate overnight as the beta amyloid is flushed out is that you need to have some really good uh, hot water and lemon or ginger or just a plain glass of water as you wake up so some of the little things that you do that obviously have this cumulated effect and i can say to you karen on a absolutely and i've tried this so many ways for myself in just understanding my own biorhythms is if I work flat out and I've got a high propensity to work, I love what I do, I do what I love, and 12 hours can just flash by like that. It's it's easy for me to work a 12-hour day. It's really not difficult, and I love it. However, if I have, um, let's say, run or not run in the mornings, it doesn't matter, but if I just sit for long periods during the day, as opposed to take my mobile phone, look at my meetings, look at when I've got my deep work time and schedule these two minute breaks before between meetings, either bounce on my trampoline or do my squats, et cetera. I feel far more fatigued at the end of the day when I've just worked flat out. So I think we've got to be more curious about our state of health and what works for us. It's not a cookie cutter approach, but one of the big things I like to people to start with to really get the connection going again in your brain is exercise. And actually, I just love the fact that this organ is so fantastically designed. When you do exercise and you get your cardio up, is your brain produces a protein and it's a fantastic fertilizer for the brain and it's called brain-derived neurotrophic factor, BDNF. So I always think to myself when I'm doing my little jumps or or star jumps or squats, thinking, okay, BDNF, protein, like I'm, I'm going to need some critical thinking later. <laughs> Let's hope that I'm laying down some new tracks with uh, that BDNF. So exercise is the first thing that I would say people should embark on and it's not another thing on your to-do list. Absolutely. I think I love that. I remember seeing you present at a conference uh, quite a number of years back now. And that thing about micro, micro sizing your exercise has always stuck with me. And I, I squat religiously when making coffee, and I drink a lot of coffee. So, so I have really strong legs because that is that is my trigger. Is is I try and exercise, and Beautiful. I'm just trying to to build it in because I I don't have an hour at a time to dedicate to to exercise. I don't think anybody realistically does, but it is important that I am moving. So to try and build in what I can at those points, and you'll be surprised how how quickly it clocks up. You know, if you're wearing your tracker, you can you can see that you're actually moving, which is which is really, really good. It is helpful. Um, and what about nutrition? Because you know when you're when you're tired at the end of the day or if you haven't slept that well at night, I mean I find myself I, I crave sugar or I crave more salt than usually usual. And sometimes you just you know you're stuck behind Zoom, you've got a few minutes in between a call. We're not meal prepping, we're not, you know, we, we think we've got this time at home, so we'll have this nutritious lunch, and before you know it, you've grabbed a, a bag of, of crisps and that's what you're snacking on. Yep. How yep. do we stop that? So uh, I have a 
got one daughter who's still living at home who's a 21 year old who's a, a, a crisp freak she'll eat every crisp she'll find and every box of biscuits or rusts so i've said to her post her university year she's back home i've said Brittany, there will be no crisps or rusks or sugar in the house so we actually have a zero tolerance in the house she's also working online from home and then we have found a fantastic uh, we've called it the the superpower muffins i think we called them and they are just really great muffins and we on a sunday afternoon we bake those muffins and we freeze them so those are always in our in our deep freeze they are sugar free yes they have dates but they've got zucchini and they've got carrots and they've got a whole lot of other good stuff almond flour so that is one way to do it is i know you've just said meal prepping can be hard but on a sunday afternoon it's kind of that relaxed time of family chat and family togetherness so we do that then. And then also I found it's winter in Johannesburg now and it's so jolly cold, is that I, in the mornings while I'm making my coffee, because I also love my coffee, is I'll put the steamer on and I'll steam some quinoa or some lentils or some dal or uh, couscous or whatever. So I'll steam that. And then I'll just add, you know, during the day in my rush, I'll get a bowl, I'll add some spinach leaves, cherry tomatoes and whatever, feta, and I just find that quite heavy food, nutritious, and very satiating. And then what I've also done in terms of a sweet uh, tooth trick, but I do love sweet things, is in my deep freeze, I've got gluten-free bread, and I have beautiful homemade almond butter, which I order, and raw honey, because remember, if it's not raw and unheated, then it's just simply sugar. And if I need a treat in the afternoon, I've got my toast and almond butter and raw honey. So I do have things around me and some dried fruit if I need to have that sugar boost for whatever reason. But I find that actually if it's not available and it's not an arm's reach, I'm not going to get in my car to go and find it. So make sure that you have a clean home. Absolutely. And I think that that is the trick is, is not not keeping it stopped because when, you, when you're tired and when you're grumpy and when you needing that quick hit of, of something if it's there you are more inclined to grab for the crisps than you are to to go and grab for for something else that is healthier but it is around meal prepping and i think i think we've got to get back to planning at some stage and we've got to sit down at some point and reflect on on how far this journey has taken us in the pandemic and really just almost almost a little bit of an audit to see where we are at this point and and where we're needing to go i mean we're making it, it's no longer just a short-term you know lifestyle change or an accommodating thing it's now become a pervasive pattern and we've got to we've got to just be a little bit more adults around this and look at how we start breaking these patterns we've, we've put in place because otherwise we're in we're in for some serious trouble down the line yes it is it really is around that conscious uh, intention of what you how you want to live your life so I just, uh, you know, I often think, you know, I am really, when you think this, you can grow 700 neurons a day. I want to be the conscious architect of what's happening here because I do actually want to live to 120. And um, I really want to make sure that the brain cells that I grow can also talk to each other. And sugar just is plaque between those brain cells. We know that. So it's really that conscious decision around what is your purpose on the planet? What do you want to do? And how do you pave the way um, to make that happen for yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think 
Perfect. And from your perspective, so Jenny, what do you, what can you offer us by means of, of you mentioned your, your coaching around this, et cetera, what is it that's out there? What, where can people get support? So if we know we're having this disconnection syndrome and, and we can identify, and I know your article is out this month as well, so we can go back and, and read that to, to get to grips with some of the detail behind that, but what support is available to people? What do you offer? I offer a number of assessments because I just find people don't want a cookie cutter approach. They really do want what is happening in me, for me. So one of the things we are looking at now with disconnection syndrome actually is critical thinking. So how can I improve my critical thinking? But what I, what is happening in my brain at the moment? So we've got a fantastic EQ-based assessment which looks at critical thinking and it looks at how your brain style really functions on three different continuums, which is superb. So is my brain focused on rational data or do I collect emotional data? So know where you are on that continuum. How do I make decisions? Am I very risk averse or do I like spontaneity? And then how do I drive myself? Am I very practical day to day? and or am I future orientated, idealistic? So it's very interesting when people start to understand their decision-making and their critical thinking, that applies to themselves as a whole ecosystem, to their businesses, to their families, to their relationships, et cetera. So it's a great place to start critical thinking. And I find I do specialize with teams and corporates is that the World Economic Forum has said that 54% of employees need to be upskilled and reskilled, especially in decision-making and critical thinking. And I think, you know, the flip side where we started with this, Karen, was around this instant gratification, this hardwiring, this dopamine drive that we have in our brains. Because of the multitasking and the freneticism is that art of good decision-making and critical thinking is a bit of a lost art at the moment in corporate teams. Absolutely. Fantastic. So, Joni, thank you. I don't know if we want to just end off. Last question of today is really around, you know, you sound like you've pretty much got it all together. We'd obviously love to know how you just, how do you do it? So, you know, have you experienced disconnection syndrome and, and how did you overcome that? Yep. I, uh, I I have to be very open and vulnerable here. I've also been through burnout. So, and I know that, um, that dark place very well. So, I've had uh, a month in bed. Uh, as a result of burnout. This was quite a few years ago. Uh, I've also noticed in the beginning of the pandemic, uh, my whole business went down the tube. So I got really frenetic about doing work. And I just thought the harder I worked, the better I'd get at doing things. Um, but I, you know, the pendulum just swung too far. So I've done that pendulum swing. And now it's uh, really about my habits and my rituals that keep me more focused and in the now, which is super. And I also can read myself quite well when I'm getting frenetic. So I can read when I'm ramping it up and I've got specific things that I do from very simple breathing techniques to shoes off even in winter on the grass outside to getting some vitamin D to very good meditation um, and very the latest apps that are coming out, which are brilliant. There's just, if you look at the biohacking conferences, there's a second summit this week. They are launching some phenomenal stuff that's very helpful to all of us. Fantastic. Jenny, I've really enjoyed my time with you today, so thank you very much. I know we have a, a webinar or a discussion coming up with you quite soon that everybody can register for, and I think it would be fantastic just to continue the conversation. I think you bring such rich experience um, and also some great biohacks that we could all learn from, so really looking forward to that discussion. 
Thank you, Karen. Thank you for your time. Thank you.